Uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and open another word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for this opportunity to come together in corporate worship, uh, an opportunity to hear from your word, an opportunity to hear from you. Lord, I pray that as we uh, do look into your word, that you would show us the areas in our life where we need to change to be more like Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's uh, that time of year where everybody decides to change things. All right, everybody's got a New Year's resolution. Just by show of hands, how many of you have already thought about a New Year's resolution? How many of you could care less? Maybe I'm preaching to the wrong crowd. I don't know. Um, well, okay, so most of the world then, or America at least, uh, it's that time of year when they start thinking about change, like, oh, I need to change this or that. And um, Sometimes people just make, try to make a change to see if they can do it. I've known people who gave up chocolate for a year. I know, those people are crazy, right? Other people, they, they gave up pop for a year. Or if you're from out of Washington, soda. Um, maybe less crazy, but still weird, right? Um, but others have made truly positive changes. You know, they've decided to lose weight, or they decided to you know, stop drinking or smoking or whatever. They've made some good changes in their life, and they've really taken that to heart and, and done something good uh, with that. There's many resolutions, many changes that you could be making in this next year to make this year your best year ever. Um, I want to help you think about one particular change that you've probably thought about before, and, and that's simply to grow more in godly character, to Im- improve the way that you relate with God and the way that you relate with others. So whether it's related to participating in ministry... Or maybe you just want to read your Bible more, um, or you want to be a better witness, be able to actually share Christ with friends and neighbors. Um, I'm sure you've thought about these things before, and I want to give you some, some thoughts and some ways that, that you can actually make those changes happen um, by looking at Joshua. So if you've got your Bibles today, let's open to Joshua chapter 1. Now, it, it's rare that, that a resolution um, is to, I'm going to keep doing the same thing I'm doing. That's not really a resolution, right? That's just words that don't mean anything. Um, typically, the resolution is to make some kind of change. You were doing this, and now you want to do that. Um, change isn't always easy, and, and one of my sons, um, he absolutely hates change. He thrives on routine. Everything happens at this time. I get up at this time. He comes running into my room. It's 7 o'clock. Can I get up? Every morning. Every morning, I'm, say, I'm like, I've told you over and over, yes, you can, but he still, it, that's his routine. He gets up and does these things, and he, if we change something, it you know, makes him tick a little weird, and it takes a while to, to adjust, unless it was his idea, right? <laughs> hey, McDonald's, let's stop, <laughs> right? Hey, he made the change, it's, it's okay, we can do this. For a lot of people, change is difficult. For myself, I mean, the longest I've lived in any one house after leaving my house it's been about three and a half years. Um, I thrive on change. We had changing this and moving, doing different things, and um, we're actually hoping and, and planning on at some point in the not-too-distant future of, of going to Germany and working with teens over there long term. Um, we've done some, uh, did a summer camp over there this year and really have a heart for them, and that's a pretty big change. Um, we're excited about it. You know, we're not really afraid of too much, um, but we're excited about it. And, and so some, some of you, change is good. You, you love change. Others of you, you hate change. Um, regardless of that, you need to understand how you deal with change 
And maybe if you have a rough time with some changes, Joshua can help us out here. Now, some of you, or I should say a little history here on Joshua. First of all, he was one of the 12 spies. Moses is taking the nation of Israel. They're going to go to the promised land. And they get there and they look at the land and they go, eh, it, it looks a little, little rough. Um, so we're going to send some spies over there to check it out and just really confirm what we're thinking. So they send one from each tribe. And they get out there and, and only Caleb and Joshua said, you know what, we can take it. Yeah, there's some giants there. Yeah, there's this. But you know what? God, God told us we can do it. And like one of the verses that was on the PowerPoint here today, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the way Joshua and Caleb thought. If God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to go in, we're going to go take this land. And it says that at that time, that Caleb was 40 years old. Um, if Caleb was 40 years old, we can assume that Joshua was probably a similar age. Probably about 40 years old at that time. He was also, we see in, in Exodus chapter 17, that he was a leader in the army. He was one of the generals in the army, and so he led these people, and he, they'd go out to battle and go out to war. He was Moses' assistant. In uh, Exodus 24, it tells us that he was there when Moses received the Ten Commandments. Not, not right there with him, but he went up the mountain partway and stayed in a part while Moses went the rest of the way up. He was there when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, and he stayed there while Moses was there those 40 days and 40 nights. It appears that he made a habit of being where God was. So in Exodus 33, 10 and 11, it says that you know, Moses is in the tent and, and uh, God is talking to Moses and right outside is Joshua listening. He's there. He wanted to be where God was. God told Moses and the people that Joshua would lead them into the promised land, in Deuteronomy. So even while Moses is alive, you know, I mean, he knows he's not going to make it to the promised land because he you know, had a little bad accident with a, hitting a rock and wasn't supposed to hit the rock. And he said, God says, you're not going to go to the promised land. Instead, Joshua is going to lead the nation into the promised land. And, but even so, in Deuteronomy um, chapter 1 and in chapter 3, Joshua needed to be encouraged. God came to Joshua and said, it needed to encourage him and, and needed to lift him up. And now we come to this big change for Joshua. Now, maybe you may not think of it as quite a big change because he's been with Moses and he's tried to be with God and he's been, been moving along in the direction that God wanted him to go. He's been right next to God this whole time. But this big change in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now it came after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. Moses died. Now it's time for the vice president to step in and take over. Joshua was the right-hand man. Joshua was there this whole time. Now it's time for him to come in and lead the people. And while he was there the whole time, it's it's kind of easy to just not be the big dog, but just be the... Little dog always barking next to the big dog. That's much easier just to stand around. When there's a big dog, you can just bark all the time and someone gets mad at you. Hey, whoa, hey, talk to Moses, right? Uh, you know, statistically, today, this day on the year, this Sunday, has the most associate and youth pastors preaching. Because um, senior pastors like to take time off, I guess, you know. Uh, but when, 
when you're the senior pastor, you're in charge of everything. You're the one people come to when there's a problem. If you're the associate, oh, you know what? Let me talk to, uh, let me talk to Pastor David about that one. Uh, you know, when, when you're not the big man on the totem pole, it's easy to pass the buck. It's easy to do different things. Even if you're good at what you do, it, it's, it's easier. As soon as you are that man, you're that guy, uh, yeah, a whole lot more responsibility uh, comes on. And that's kind of where Joshua is. Now, if Joshua was the same age as Caleb, even if, even if we said that when they went in and spied out the land, let's just say he was younger than Caleb. Let's say he was 30 years old, not 40. Well, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. So he's at least 70 years old. I don't know about, about you, but when I'm about 70 years old, I plan on retiring and not doing a whole lot of leading a million people through, you know, uh, another wilderness area. Um, but I'm sure most of you don't want to go and run for president at 70 years old or older. Um, lead, lead America, right? Lead 300 million people. No, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready just to relax a little bit and do something else. Um, but that's what Joshua had to do. Joshua had to make this change. He didn't have any other options. It was time for him to take charge of the people that God had promised him and said, you are going to lead these people into the promised land. So as we we continue in the passage, um, in verses 3 through 5, God continues on and says, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses and Abraham before that. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now, if God gave me this promise on a particular venture, I'm like, sweet. God's not going to fail me. He's given it to me. Let's just go on and do it. Let's just, let's just move. You know, sometimes you look at certain things with, like with Moses. When Moses was, you know, God called Moses and Moses says, well, I understand what you're saying, God, but I got the speech impediment and I really, I really can't talk that well. Well, I understand what you're saying, God, but, you know, I just, I just got these issues. I, I really, you know, five, six times, he had to go through these things, and each time God said, fine, I'll do this, fine, I'll do this. Here, you know, throw your staff down, it becomes a snake. I think that right there would scare me into submission, um, but not Moses. <laughs> he had more excuses, right? Sometimes we, we can have those excuses, but if, if God was speaking to me and said, I'm going to give this to you, just like I told Moses, and, and I just had gone through a lot of these different things, went through wilderness and went and saw the, you know, the manna, saw all this different stuff that God did, I'd be pretty gung-ho. And I believe Joshua is gung-ho. I believe we, we can see that later. However, one of the things that God commanded him in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be very careful to do according to all that is written in it, 
For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will be a success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I mentioned earlier that it said in Deuteronomy he had to be encouraged. Three times in a few sentences, he says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, do not be dismayed. God doesn't say things needlessly. I believe that God is telling him to be strong and courageous because he was a little intimidated by leading a million people. Um, you know, with, without being able to text the guy at the back, hey, are you, are you back there? Are you coming along? You know, or, are you, when I worked at Camp Gilead and, and uh, we would take the, when I was there, we would take the kids from the camp, walk this big trail, it was about two miles to a park and have, have stuff. And we had counselors split up all along. We all had walkie-talkies, though. We had someone at the back, someone in the front or the back quarter, and the next quarter, and, you know, in the front. All right, how far back are you? Are we just past this tree with whatever? You know, we knew where we were going as we're taking 200 kids two miles to a park. Imagine leading a million people, trying to figure out who's in the back, what's going on. It's a little intimidating, you know. Um, he doesn't want to leave, you know, people behind and whatnot. But when he says, um, be strong and courageous, you know, each time strong precedes courageous. And it wasn't talking about physical strength. He wasn't talking about, you know, have the strength of Samson, you know, or, or somebody else, which you know, Samson comes later on. But he wasn't talking about being physically strong. He, was commanding jo- he wasn't commanding Joshua to, you know, join a gym, uh, be so Hans and Franz can pump him up. Um, the type of strength that God was talking about was spiritual and mental strength. The strength to stand for God and lead the people. When, when looking up the, the word, I looked up the Hebrew word here to see what they, you know, they always have these different nuances and different ways of meaning than the good old American English language. And it, it has this, this idea of to prevail or to hold or harden. But what, one of the other word, ways it's translated is to be resolute. I thought it was kind of fitting. <laughs> um, but just that you're standing firm and holding on to something no matter what. Nothing is going to change it. Nothing is going to shake you. You're going to stand and be there no matter what. Be strong. Be firm in the truth. That's what God is talking about. Not, not be, be strong and firm in the resolution you have made to, I'm going to walk every day. Well, that, that could be great. But be strong and firm in the truth. If you're strong and firm in the truth, that is what's going to help you continue to develop your godly character. Secondly, he says, be courageous. <laughs> be strong. Be courageous. Again, you know, he's not telling him to just be, not be an adrenaline a junkie kind of courageous. Go bungee jumping. Go skydive. No, not, not quite that kind of courageous. Um, but again, the fact that he's telling him three times to be courageous and do not tremble or be dismayed just leads me to believe that despite his experience leading armies, despite his experience being with Moses with the Ten Commandments and hearing God and all these, all these 70 years of experience with God, he still is intimidated by this. And so he says, be strong and courageous. And again, this word... When, we, when I look at this word, it has this, these connotations of being fortified. You know, this fortified wall. I got strong. Be strong 
and fortified. And to so be steadfastly minded. You've got one track and you are hitting it. And you are going and you're going and you're going. Now I've, I've got to get done in about five minutes so I can be home for the Seahawks game. Uh, watch Marshawn Lynch go and go and go and go, right? For, for those who don't watch football, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. Um, but that's what he does oftentimes. It's, I, I played football in high school, and um, after an, an injury and some other things, realized I would not have a professional career in football. Um, but Marshawn Lynch, when, if, you, if you ever care to, just get this picture in your mind. You can watch it for a little bit today. If you don't really don't like football, just watch five minutes or so. But if you watch him, he, when he gets hit, he doesn't go down. When he gets hit, he moves his legs more and more and more and more and keeps going until the whistle blows or until there's about five guys on him and take him down. And that's what you're supposed to do, and that's what makes a really good running back in football. You go and you go and you go. And that's, that's this idea of be strong and courageous. To be strong is to not let anyone shake you or move you, but then be fortified and be steadfast, and you go and you go. You know what the Word says, you know what the truth says, and you don't back down. You don't let it go. Number three, he says in verse 7 and 8, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success." Do the word. Like James says, don't be hearers only, but do the word. If you want to have godly character, do the word. Do what God tells you to do. 90%, 95% of the Bible, in my opinion, is easily understandable. Most of the commands that God gives us are simple to understand. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't gossip. All right? Don't murder. Um, don't, there's a lot of, a lot of it's pretty easy. Now there's some other things that are a little bit harder. Some of the attitudes, you know, don't be selfish. Don't be prideful. A little bit more difficult to practice on a regular basis. But I think we all understand what they mean. But that's what he's saying. He says, do the word. God designed us. He knows how we ought to act. He knows what you're supposed to do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He didn't say, children, obey your parents if they make sense. Children, obey your parents if they got you good Christmas presents. Children, obey your parents as long as it fits in your schedule. He didn't say that, right? Now, the one caveat there is if they're telling you to sin, okay, you don't, you don't have to obey them if they're telling you to sin, but still, you would, should disobey in respect. Say, well, God tells me differently, and let's, let's look at that here, you know. Parents, do not provoke your children to wrath, all right? I think those two things kind of go hand in hand. It happens, right? Do the word. Improve your godly character by doing what God asks you to do. And he tells Joshua this here a couple times real, real, brief, real quickly in a short amount of space. Be courageous, be strong to do the word. That's what you're holding on to, is to do the commands that God has given you. 
Now in verse um, 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Speak the word. He says, don't be hearers of the word only, but, but do the word in, you know, in James. But we should also speak the word. I've had um, instances in my life where I have coworkers and they're talking about doing something. One particular time, she was talking about moving in with her boyfriend, and I was like, I just, I don't think it's a very good idea. I just, I've known other people that did that, and they end up breaking up, have big issues, they got a whatever. It, it didn't turn out well. And she goes, "You're the only one who's telling me that. I wonder why. Uh, I'm speaking truth to her. I'm letting her know. God says, don't do that. God says that that the." marriage bed is undefiled. God says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. God says that there is a way to do things. And I'm the only one telling her that because I was the only real Christian in her life speaking the word to her. It's been proven that it's easier to learn a new language if you practice it. <laughs> speak, you gotta speak, right? I'm, I'm trying to learn German. I'm trying, kind of. I'm, I'm going, I'm doing some stuff online. But it's a lot easier. They, all the, the, the newest stuff right now is to go in and you just listen to what the people are saying and you try to talk with them and you, and you pick it up. Um, I know of a missionary who um, is in Thailand and to learn Thai, they said, you cannot look at a book. <laughs> you cannot do anything else just go live there for six weeks. And after about six weeks, being in with the people all, t- all the time, every day, he started picking it up. And, but you've got to start speaking it. You've got to start doing it. You've got to start putting it in your mouth and in your mind. In order to do the law and remember the law, it helps if you are speaking the law. Sharing with your children what they ought to do. Sharing with your friends and neighbors, people that you're trying to be accountable to for maybe a sin issue you're trying to get over. Or as it says in multiple verses, but specifically Colossians 3, it says, admonish one another with songs and hymns and spiritual, yeah, songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, but it says, admonish one another and talk to one another. Share the word with one another. You're in to encourage one another. So the more that you use the word in your speech, the more you're going to remember it. The more that you speak it also makes you accountable to follow it. Do as I say and as I do. You know, I'm telling you to do this. And then your kid comes up to you and says, um, remember when the Bible says this, you know? Um, I, I had a time a few weeks ago where I was uh, teaching Sunday school and, and uh, I brought donuts for the kids and we had one and there was a bunch left over. They all want another one. And I said, okay, you can have another one if... You memorize this verse and go share it with your parents. And, and I'm going to ask, if your parent tells me, yes, you said this verse to them, then, then I'll give you a donut. And the verse was Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and grumbling. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of parents thank me for that one, okay? <laughs> do as I say and as I do. Now the parent can go to the kid. Now remember what the verse said. But the kid can also go to the parent. Remember what that verse says, right? When you're driving, oh, these people, okay? Do all things without complaining and grumbling. The more that you say these words, they get ingrained in your mind, and the Holy Spirit will recall them to you so that you can more effectively do the word. As you do the word, your character grows. Lastly, here in verse 8, he says, or he says to dwell 
on the, on the word. You shall meditate on it from day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. That what you put in will come out. This word meditate, you know, sometimes we still kind of get these Eastern meditation ideas, you know, om, om, whatever. But in reality, the, the other, other ways that this, this uh, word is translated means to utter, to mutter, to speak. Multiple times it's translated that way. So when you think of meditating, think more about dwelling on the word and then speaking it. I found that when I memorize verses, it's easier if I write the verse down and I can read it and then read it out loud. You write it down again. You read it out loud. When you do something out loud, you're hearing it and saying it. You're doing two things and it helps you to remember it better. In this culture, they didn't have a Bible to go back to and look at all the time. It was common to speak it over and over and over again to each other. And they would speak it and speak it and speak it and share it and share it. And that's the way that they would ingrain it into their mind. And so when you meditate on things, just as Philippians 4.8 says, meditate on things that are lovely, noble, beautiful, etc. Meditate. Dwell on these things. Dwell on the word. Get it into your mind. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ. Get it into your mind. Think on it. What does it mean? What is it saying? I don't know if you've ever skipped your homework or skimmed the textbook and shown up for a test only to realize you have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Um, I guess I shouldn't have skimmed the 18 chapters in that book last night. Um, Don't do that with God. Spend time in the word to understand and know what it's saying. So that you're not talking to someone says, someone at work comes up to you and says, well, I know you go to church. What, what about this? And you, um, yeah, we, the Bible says don't judge people, which is not entirely accurate. <laughs> um, know the word so that you can be thoroughly equipped to share with them. You know, 1 Peter First, second Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to people. The only way you're going to be prepared is if you dwell on the word and get it into your mind. Now, those are five things that God told Joshua to do. Be strong and courageous. Or be strong, be courageous. Do the law, speak the word, meditate on the word. Now, those are not difficult things to do. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to, you know, drive anywhere, or you don't have to, you know, do push-ups. You don't have to do anything. You can be in your house and do all these things. And you can be at work and do all these things. It's only in your mind, but they do take effort. It's not difficult, but it does take effort. Now, God promised Joshua some things. In verse 3, he'd given him this land. All the land that you step out onto. I'm going to give you all of this. Just like Abraham and Moses before him. Now, God's not promising you all this land. Sorry. Um, But there are those promises to Joshua and the nation of Israel. In verses 5 and 9, he says, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Verse 9, Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Now, we don't see in the exact same phrasing in the New Testament for God to be with us. However, he does say in Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that God is with us and that we will be in heaven when, when we die. The Holy Spirit does not leave us. He does say again in Hebrews, said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's, I believe, really a quote from back here. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit is there with you. No matter where you go, no matter if you're all alone in a slum somewhere, all alone in Africa somewhere, or with a bunch of people celebrating Christmas in your house, God is always with you. It doesn't matter what the situation is because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. If the creator of the world is with us, you know, what is there to be afraid of? There is no task too large. There is no job that you can take that is too big or, or too much. If God has established you and prepared you for something, you know, God has put you in that position. Number three, in verse seven, so be strong, be very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. God promised Joshua success if he obeyed God. We see this throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. God says, Israel, if you will obey, I will make you prosper. And they say, okay, and eh, never mind. And then they get enslaved, they get defeated in battle for whatever reason, they're gone for 50 years, 100 years, and then they go, wait a minute, we remember God said something at one point, oh, maybe we should repent and turn back to God. So they do, and then they start prospering again, because God had promised them, if they obey, he will make them prosper as a nation. And God was telling, God was reminding Joshua of this, um, the promise that, when he, when he gave it to Abraham and he gave it to Moses, now, does this mean that if you read your Bible and, and you witness and you go to church, that God's going to make you prosperous and have lots of money and everything else? No. I don't believe God's telling us that here. Um, but what I do believe he's, he, he promises us, we can see this in, in many places, but success in your relationship with him is going to flow out into the rest of your life. You can't control what other people are doing if they're behaving sinfully. You can't control that. There's nothing you can do about someone else acting sinfully against you, whether they're a Christian or not. However, the way you respond can still be in peace, and you can still have peace in your own heart because you know that you're honoring God with what you're doing. On a really practical level, I think most of you have probably noticed that when two people are both choosing to honor God, they have a much better relationship. Whether it's in marriage, in family, child and parent, or friends, or coworkers, or a boss and an and employee, no matter what the relationship is, if both of them are choosing to honor God, that relationship goes a lot better. That is success. That is success. Now, at the same token, I think that if you're choosing to honor God in your business, I think God will, I believe that God will give you some success. Does that mean you're going to instantly become the president of your company? No. But you can do very well. You can start doing, the, make the right choices. And as you're following God, God is, gonna, God is going to give you the wisdom to know 
the kinds of choices you should make for your family to make your family a success, um, to be a good testimony. Number four kind of goes along with us again in verse seven. He says, not only be a success, but that you would prosper. Um, and so, again, this is a promise to Joshua. And, and in fact, we, we actually get the opposite because God, God tells us that, or Jesus tells us that the world hated him. And if the world hated the master, won't they also hate the servant of the master? God, the world's going to hate us and persecute us. At some point or another, in one way or another, we're going to be hated and persecuted by the world simply because we're honoring God. So you can't necessarily take these, all these Old Testament promises that say be successful and prosperous if you just follow God because he also tells us that the world's going to hate us and persecute us. Those don't always go together. But I think we can understand success in a little bit different way than just worldly success. If you honor God with your life and you have peace in your life, just imagine, imagine having peace no matter who the president is. <laughs> no matter if North Korea shuts down Sony or not. <laughs> okay, well now, and then on Christmas Day, they shut down, somebody hacked in and shut down the Xbox and PlayStation Live, the video game systems. They, they shut it down so people, they can only play by themselves at home now. Oh, hurt me. <laughs> okay. Uh, no matter what happens in the world. Now, I know there's a lot more rough things happening in the world than that. But imagine having peace. Peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7. 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything through prayer and supplication make your requests known to the Lord, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's success to me right there. Having peace in the midst of turmoil. Understanding that, that's, that's the kind of thing that God is really aiming for us. And when you have that, the people around you are going to go, how can you be so peaceful right now? How can you be so patient with these things? Like, well, it's because I know the Creator. And that's going to give you opportunities to share Christ. Now, no matter what kind of change you want to make, maybe you've thought about losing weight, getting a better job, be a better parent, whatever. They all, all those changes need to start with a foundation of godly character. Because your motivation for doing those things ought to come from God. I want to lose weight because I want to be healthier so that I can be a better parent. I want to get a better job so that I can provide better for my family and support missions. I, I want to do these things. Whatever it is, understanding what, how is God going to use this as a tool? Whatever resolution you've been thinking of, and the new one that you ought to add on, add just improving your godly character, how can you incorporate these things? Okay? No matter what it is, you be strong and courageous. You meditate on the word. You dwell on the word. You speak the word. You do the word. Okay? You add these things. Now, what are some practical steps to do? First of all, for those of you who aren't even reading your Bible today. I'm sure there's at least one of you in here today that have, have difficulty reading your Bible on a daily basis. We've already established that you can't do the Word if you don't know it. And if you don't read it, you can't know it. So pick a book of the Bible. doesn't matter. Any book. Now, I would suggest maybe a shorter one. Don't pick Psalms. Um, I would suggest perhaps Colossians or Ephesians have some really good practical information. It's only four chapters or six chapters. And read, just take five minutes, five minutes a day, 
and read a chapter. Or if your Bible's like mine, it's got the nice little, nice little subtitles, little subject titles there, and you just read that little section. Read the thought. Don't read just one verse. Read the thought that, that's happening there. Just take five minutes to do that. Now, many of your Bibles have the, um, or excuse me. Now, if you, if you read it through and it's only two and a half minutes, read through it one more time. Take five minutes. Do that. Meditate on it day and night. Now, start this practice each morning for five minutes. Then start adding it before you go to bed for five minutes. Okay? Read the same section you read in the morning. Just read it again. And, and in order maybe to facilitate a better understanding for, for meditating on it, get a little notebook. Got a little question? Write it down. A thought pops in your mind about the verse? Write it down. Now, it, when you get this notebook, though, don't get something intimidating like the you know, legal size notebook. A little five by seven. Something easy. Keep it with your Bible. You know, don't feel like you've got to fill it up. But anything that pops in your mind. Now, if you have a question about something that you read, come to church. You can ask your eloquent pastor. Um, you can talk to a Bible teacher or one of your Sunday school teachers. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to someone else that you respect and admire here at the church. Say, hey, I've got a question about this, and I think you might have the answer. And keep, keep working until you find someone who's got an answer can help you understand what the Word says. So far, I've only scheduled 10 minutes of your day. All right? Now, if you think about the total time in a day, that's less than 1% of your time. I'm sure you can add that to your day because we do a lot of frivolous things that really don't matter. Um, turn, don't turn the TV on yet. When you get up in the morning, take a shower, whatever, or maybe you get breakfast, I don't know. While you're eating breakfast, you can read your Bible. Take, I've only scheduled 10 minutes. Less than 1% of your day I've scheduled for you now. It shouldn't be that difficult to do. Now, if you've already been in the Word, you say, oh, well, I read my Bible every day. I've got a reading plan. I'm doing this thing. Whatever it is, some devotional. What's your ministry? How are you serving God? Are you teaching Sunday school? Are you helping out in the nursery? Are you helping out with the sound and sermon audio? Are you helping out at summer camps? Are you serving elsewhere? Your ministry doesn't always have to be here at this building. You can have a lot of different ministries. If you have a hard time thinking of a ministry, you're like, well, I, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. I've heard that one before. Well, talk to somebody. Talk to the pastor. Talk to the elders. Talk to Sunday school teachers. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody and say, I, I don't know what to do. Start thinking about the giftings that you have. What do you do for a job? And what is oftentimes the thing you do for a job can translate somewhat into a ministry somewhere. There's a lot of different things. Maybe you've been thinking about something. Well, I've been thinking about this particular thing, but we don't do that at our church. I can pretty much guarantee you if you want to head it up, they'll let you. <laughs> um, if, it's, if it's biblical and it's a ministry that will work here in the area, they'll say, yep, all right, you head it up, you get going. Um, but be careful about the ministries you suggest, because if you suggest it, you will be asked to head it up. Um, don't, I don't believe the Holy Spirit has given us the, uh, the ability to decide ministries for other people yet. Um, I'm still developing that one. I'll let you know when I have it figured out. Um, now, for those of you that are very mature, I would say you're very spiritually mature. You're not only in the Word every day and you've you're got your ministry that you do every week or month, however it works out. 
you're, you're always there all the time and you're the people that you know, people are coming to with questions. Are you discipling somebody? You need to be discipling someone. It says in Hebrews, it says, at this time you ought to be teachers of the word, but you still require the milk of the word. Now, that's a little bit more in reference to people who aren't even learning, or not even reading the word, but there comes a point where you ought to be able to teach the word. Maybe not get up here and preach. Maybe not necessarily teaching a Sunday school class per se, but can you take one individual and explain to them what the Bible means? How do you overcome a sin habit? Can you explain that? How do you help them understand how to share Christ with somebody else? Can you help them understand to do that? Are you sharing Christ with other people? Maybe you've got your, your life nailed down. You've got your routine. You get up in the morning, you spend time in the Word, you spend time in the Word at night, you've got your ministry every week that you're doing, and you're doing your thing, you've got your stuff, but you never share Christ with anyone. Share Christ with someone. Share Christ with someone here at church. Hey, do you have a relationship with Christ? Well, I think so. You'd be surprised, even in, a, in this church. You may ask someone that, and they go, well, I think so. What does that mean? It means they really aren't sure. Can you sit down with them and help them understand what it means to be a Christian? To believe that Jesus died for your sins? And if you don't accept that, that you're going to go to hell? But if you do accept that Jesus paid for your sin, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And you have to spend eternity with God. Well, I, I don't know what I would do with this person. I can sit there and talk to them, but if they don't have questions, what am I going to do? Go through a book of the Bible together, like Ephesians or Colossians would be a great one with some practical steps to help them grow. Go through a book together. There's a great book called Disciplines of a Godly Man or Disciplines of a Godly Woman. And it's a great book just to go through, and, and it helps you understand some certain disciplines to put into your life to become a more godly person. There's also another one called Spiritual Leadership. It's by Oswald Chambers. Oswald Sanders, excuse me. And just go through this book together that are based on biblical values and foundations, and they give scripture references for everything. You can look up the scripture references and go through these things to help each other grow. People ask me all the time, I've worked with teenagers a long time, I've worked with teenagers for 15 years or so, and people ask me all the time, well, you know, how do we help this generation? How do we help them grow? Mentor them. Disciple them. Show them that a Christian adult isn't someone who looks down on them, but a Christian adult is someone who wants to come alongside them and help them grow. Now, sometimes they're resistant to that. You go up and introduce yourself, and they kind of look at you and go, why are you talking to me? Okay, Just introduce yourself. Say, how's it going? You know, how long have you been attending here? What brought you to church today? Well, my family goes here. Oh, who are your parents? Just start a conversation. That's it. Just show that you are interested in their life. That's all they want. They want someone to be interested in what they are doing. As you build that little relationship, you talk to them, say, hey, are your parents, you know, talk to their parents. Have them over for dinner. Have them family over for lunch. Fellowship together. Get to know the family. You know, maybe the, maybe the parents and the kid don't have a great relationship. Talk to the parents about that. Well, would it be all right if I discipled your kid? Sure, you want to work with them, go for it. Okay, you talk to them. Hey, I know you and I have hit it off. 
can we work together? I'd love to share some stuff with you from, from God's word. Would you like to meet for six weeks? Once a week for an hour or so. You can ask me any question you want to, and we'll go through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, I don't know, sure. I'll buy you a coffee. Okay. Um, take them out for lunch. Whatever. But are, how, are you discipling someone? And maybe it's not a teenager. Maybe it's just another adult. Maybe it's just someone, someone else at, at your work. You know they're a Christian. They don't have a church they go to. Whatever. Who are you discipling? If you consider yourself to be a mature person and you're not discipling someone, now you know what your next step is. Either get in the Word 10 minutes a day. It's less than 1% of your time. If you're there, start thinking about what ministry you're in. If you don't know what ministry you're in, or you can do, talk to someone. Get that figured out. If you already got your routine, you're doing your ministry, you're doing everything, but you're not discipling someone yet, start looking around for someone to disciple. Start praying for that person to show up. Maybe they're not even at church yet. Start praying for them to show up. You have a choice this next year. You can choose to do the same old thing. And Einstein told us that to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result is the definition of insanity. So, don't be insane this year. Do something different. Grow in your relationship with Christ by doing one of these things. Joshua said, choose for you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this example of Joshua. We thank you that he was strong and courageous. We thank you that he chose to immediately go and cross the Jordan as you had commanded him. We thank you that he did not act in fear after you had encouraged him. I pray that as we have been encouraged today by your word and his example, I pray that we would grow this next year in Christ. That we would establish our daily time in the word. We would establish our ministry to serve others. And we would find those around us that need to be discipled. And that we would follow through with helping them grow in Christ. And I pray that as we go our separate ways to this afternoon, that we would be honoring to you in all that we say and do, and that we would have opportunities to share Christ. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.